Hi everyone, this is Serena with Breaking Taboo, uh, founder and director of a mental health nonprofit dedicated to mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Today I am sitting with Julie Nunn, who has been kind enough to give us some of her time and share her story around uh, a variety of topics, including suicide, losing her brother to suicide, um, and experiencing rape and going through some PTSD and seeking out, finally seeking out therapy. So uh, Julie, Thank you so much uh, for sharing Thank with you. us your story. And mm-hmm. oh, there is my cat, by the way. Oh. <laughs> my, cat, my cat does come sometimes in spirit. <laughs> You'll just have to ignore her. She likes to That's okay. on my Zoom call sometimes. Um, but yeah, Julie, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good today. Yeah, I'm having a really good day today. Good, great. Looking, very, very much looking forward to speaking with you. Good. <laughs> Me too. Me too. We, we did this once before and we had some technical difficulties. So this is our round two. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and as Julie said, we'll just consider the first round of dress rehearsal. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So um, Julie, uh, you know how this goes. Uh, why don't we just get started with okay. um, having you share a little bit of your story and uh, uh, starting from the very beginning, um, either with yourself or with your brother, wherever you want to start first and uh, when things first started to happen for you. Well, actually, my brother's suicide uh, actually didn't come until 1980. Um, my, the beginning of my journey started at age 14 when I... Um, became pregnant as a teenager. I had entered into a relationship with an older boy and uh, became pregnant. And, you know, was basically, I guess, the statistic, you know, the teenage pregnancy statistic. And, um, but it was totally consensual. Um, You know, I, we thought we loved each other, you know, as teenagers often do. And uh, it just resulted in the pregnancy. And, um, but obviously our parents, you know, um, they molded over, so to speak, you know, talked to each other and decided that in the end, you know, abortion was the only, you know, way to go. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. And um, I wasn't really for it or necessarily against it, but I was never given a choice. And I think that kind of stayed with me throughout the whole process of it was the fact that no one ever asked me, you know, how I felt or what I felt, you know, it was just, you know, I sat there and I was told, you know, this is what was going to happen. The adults basically took the reins and made the decision. Yeah. The age of 14, you know, obviously your parents are going to make decisions for you that you're unable or incapable of making at the age of 14. Well, that's actually interesting because, you know, I feel like that's a very traditional old way of parenting. That's how I was parented. And I actually suffered a lot of um, uh, depression and stuff uh, because of it. um, You know, the the traditional way is that uh, children are just children and they're incapable of their own thoughts and their own decision making. Um, and I think we see that cross cultures, but even now, so I feel like in, in some Asian or Eastern cultures, that's still happening, you know? Um, and yeah. my voice was very much silenced growing up. I, I basically had no voice. So I know exactly what that feels like. And I can think of like nothing in my life really up until the age of uh, 17 where I moved out <laughs> um, and moved uh, across the, the United States to um, California nothing was really my decision ever. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that's a major thing. I mean, I think if parents could really get that fact that, you know, communication with your child, I mean, at any age, you know, of course it has to be age appropriate, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, letting your child feel like they have some kind of say, I think is, is so vitally important because, you know, you, you start to feel like a non-person, like, you know, you're, you're just this thing in the universe and you have to just exist, you know, and that's so wrong because we're all human beings. We all have feelings, no matter what age we are. 
That's so, actually a great way of putting it. That is exactly how I felt actually yeah. growing up. And it's so hard. It's so hard because I did, I think that I did deal with quite a bit of depression after that happened because of not being able to talk either before, you know, or during the process of it or even afterwards because I was never given an opportunity for counseling or any kind of, you know, talk therapy, anything, nothing. I was okay. just over and that was the end of it. And counseling didn't really exist for a lot of people uh, around then. Can you say, like, what decade was that when this Well, happened? that was in the 70s. Okay. That was so, in the early 70s. So how was um, abortion and uh, mental health that was viewed? Very new. Well, that was very new. The abortion laws were very mm-hmm. new on the books. In fact, Roe v. Wade did not pass until 1973. But there was an, the other laws on the books prior to Roe v. Wade that made it legal. So I got in like literally right under the wire with that, you know, Mm, if it had happened before that time, I would have had a child. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I would have given birth to a child, which, you know, I mean, in hindsight, you know, when I look back on that, I think, wow, you know, the whole trajectory of my life would have changed dramatically from, you know, what it was. So question for you, if you don't mind me asking, um, do you regret doing that? Or, I mean, you didn't have a choice, so they're really, you know, we can't really get into regret or not, but had you had the choice, would you have made the same decision? You know, that's, that's a question I think I've been asking myself my whole life. You know, mm-hmm. I go back and forth with it, actually. I do, because I really do believe in, in women's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that, you know, I mean, these are just my beliefs. You know, I, um, I fully support you know, legal abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that every woman should have a right to say what's going to happen with her body. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, this is extremely controversial. I know it's a very personal, deeply personal subject with women and with men. I mean, you know, men have a, have a voice too in this. I mean, you know, because they're a part of it. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, On the one hand, you know, like I said, I go back and forth with it. There are times when I wish that I'd had that child. And then there are other times that I'm just so grateful I didn't because I wouldn't have the life I have now. Even with all that came after that, I Mm -hmm. still wouldn't have the life I have now, Mm -hmm. which is really good, you know. So tell me about your life now. What does your life now look like? Well, I mean, I've been married for 43 years. And I Congratulations. have, two, thank you. I have uh, two grown children, a daughter and a son, and I have three wonderful grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they basically, you know, are my whole world. That's yeah. great. So, and you've been through a lot too, not just oh, the abortion. Uh, yeah. I mean, after the abortion, uh, two, two years after that, cause I was a freshman in high school when mm-hmm. that happened. And then I just basically, you know, went on with my life after it was over. As I said before, you know, with my parents, it was just over, it was done. And I, and I had all this school in front of me, I had to finish, you know, Mm -hmm. so I had to go back to school and this happened in the summertime. So I had to go back to school, you know, in the fall. And it was so hard because, but he was a senior, so he had graduated. So he wasn't coming back to the school. So I went back, you know, and without him being there, which was actually a blessing because going back, if he had been there would have been way harder to do, you know, mm-hmm. having to look at him and see him all the time, it would have been very hard, but, um, you know, I had to go back and I had to just continue on and it was hard. It was mm-hmm. really hard, you know, and I just hesitated, you know, getting involved again in anything forget boys. I mean, I was just like not wanting to get involved in anything at all. And luckily I made a few really close girlfriends, you know, during that time, during that time frame. Mm-hmm. So I had joined the drill team in my junior year and I started to finally feel like I was coming out of that dark place, mm-hmm. you know, and into right. a little bit of light, you know. And when I did, when I started getting involved in things, I felt like I was becoming more of who I was before all of mm-hmm. that had happened to me. Mm-hmm. So and then at the end of that time, that's when I met my husband, who's mm-hmm. my husband. Now. 
and I met him at the end of my junior year and it was the end of his senior year and we got together and um, he was very, you know, loving, very patient, very understanding. And, you know, I felt like it was only right that I told him about my experience because mm -hmm. we were starting to feel like things were getting serious between us. Mm -hmm. So I did, and, you know, I shared it all with him and, you know, and I was really fearful when I shared it with him that, you know, that he would just walk away because why, why did you think I he would do that? I thought that he would, I don't know. I think somewhere in my head, you know, at the time at the age I was, I thought he would think less of me or, you know, so there I, was, was there a, a lot of guilt surrounding yes. the fact oh, that you did that? So much guilt, so much guilt and so much shame and so much, you know, silence mm -hmm. with to even talking about it and the fact that but the fact that I felt safe talking to him about it was kind of big for me because up until that point I hadn't felt safe in even telling this to my closest girlfriend mm -hmm. so I I never brought it up right until, right yeah it is a very controversial topic um definitely and and that's um and then shortly after that you lost your brother, right, to suicide. Well, well, no, actually, I graduated in 1975. Uh -huh. And then my husband and I uh, dated for a year mm -hmm. after we both graduated. And um, because my parents did not want us to get married. They were vehemently opposed to it. Why? Because they felt I was too young. And oh. I had an older and I had an older sister who got married very young and was divorced after mm -hmm. only five years and had a child. So they saw me going in that same direction mm -hmm. and they just didn't want it. Isn't so, it interesting how parents um, base their decisions for you based on one or two examples or horror oh boy, stories? <laughs> or, or compare you to your sibling, right, you know, right. which is so very unfair because we are nothing alike. Right. We diametrically opposed in our personalities in every way. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was, that was hard for me, but so I agreed to wait a year and I said, you know, if we can be together for an entire year and still want this, then, you know, I think that's more than sufficient time, you know, mm -hmm. so we, a year went by. And during that year, while we were dating, um, I had started a job working mm -hmm. at an insurance company. And uh, I ended up being sexually assaulted. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah. How so? I had found myself, well, long story short, there was a meeting that I was being called to go to. Mm -hmm. And it was at a, at a local restaurant that was nearby the office. And so I was told that, you know, I had to attend it. Well, all of the men in the office were old enough to be my father. So mm -hmm. I felt relatively safe working in that office. Mm -hmm. And I'd been working there for a while. So I didn't feel any red flags or any, you know, weirdness going on. I never felt anything like that at all. And so um, I agreed to go to this meeting mm -hmm. and I thought that I was just going to take my car. Well, one of the men in the office said, well, this is silly, you know, that we're all taking separate cars. You can just come in my car. Mm -hmm. So hmm. I didn't think anything of it. That seemed perfectly plausible. To How me. old were you? I was seven, six, seventeen. 16, oh, okay. 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just, so I got in his car and off we went. And I thought that that's where we were going was this to this restaurant. Well, we stopped at a liquor store mm -hmm. and he was a smoker. So I thought he was going to just go in and buy cigarettes. I didn't question him. He just went in and when he came out, he didn't have, well, I, he may have had cigarettes, but he had a six pack of beer and he just threw it in the back of the seat and off we went. And now we were going in a direction that I didn't recognize. And I just said, okay, where, where are we off to? I mean, where's this restaurant? And he said, well, we still have time before the meeting. So I thought we'd just wait down by the beach. Hmm. Well, I mean, I love the beach. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, you know, we'll right, just right. Start and wait by the beach. So we go down by the beach, which wasn't far from the office mm -hmm. or anything. 
Young and naive. Yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. Totally suckered me in the whole way. You know, I probably I mean, I probably would have thought the same, but it all seemed so perfectly innocent. You know, I mean, it was no really not that big a deal. But you trusted him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we got to the beach and we're sitting there in his car and he began drinking the beer. One right after the next and after the next. And we weren't really talking about anything in particular, you know, just work related stuff and how beautiful the beach was and so forth and so on, just chatter, you know, Mm -hmm. and finally, but then it started to feel, that's when it started to feel weird to me. Like Mm. he, I don't like that. He's number one. I didn't like the fact that he was drinking because he was driving. So I thought, you know, enough is enough. So I just told him, I said, you know, I really think we need to get going now. I want to, I want to get to the restaurant. And so he didn't argue with me. He just started the car and off we went, you know? Mm -hmm. So we are driving and we get, we're going in the right direction. Now we're going toward where the restaurant, because I knew the vicinity of where the restaurant was. Mm -hmm. So we're stopped at a stoplight and out of nowhere, this man just reached over and threw his hand completely down my top and totally groped me. As he was still on As uh, he driving? Was, we were stopped at a light okay. at the time when he reached over and did this. So we were stopped. We weren't driving. Uh-huh. And so I just <laughs> removed his hand mm-hmm. and said, you know, uh, we need to get to the restaurant now, you know just, or, or no, I think I told, actually, I told him, take me back to the office now. I'm not going to this. I think I refused to go to the meeting. That's mm-hmm. what happened. Right. And so he, so he started and I was trying to get to unlock the door and I couldn't figure out, he had, he had a weird car that I didn't understand. So I didn't understand how the locks worked because mm-hmm. I thought, okay, at the next, at the next light, I'm going to just hop out and run. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't figure out the lock. So I just, gave up, you know, and so he was driving back to the, to where the office was. And so by the time we pulled into the driveway of the, where the office was, I had the lock figured out mm-hmm. and I leaped out of that car and before it had even come to a full stop and was running to my car. And you know how, when you're fiddling for your keys at the bottom of your purse, and I wasn't looking back behind me, I was just determined I was going to get in my car and go you know, so I found my keys, I got in the car, I locked the doors, I started the car. And I mean, and I was just shaking, like, you know, and I was scared to death. He just scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Because I didn't know what he was going to do. Right. You know, next, I didn't know what was coming next. You know, I thought, well, I mean, he kidnapped you. That's a, it's a kidnap story. (laughs) Exactly. So, so I get in my car and I, and I started the engine and I went to back up. And I, as I looked in the rear view mirror, I saw him literally jump out of the way because he was, I almost hit him wow. backing up. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I tore out of that parking lot and all the way home. And I mean, just sobbing and crying the whole way home. And I managed to get home and my husband, well, my fiance at the time, he was waiting for me at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And when, obviously when I came in the door, they could, see that I was visibly upset, you know, Mm -hmm. and the whole story just came pouring out of me. Mm. Well, the next day, my, my father went down there and I guess told him off. I don't Mm -hmm. know what was said because my father never told me again, this lack of communication, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you're not, he wasn't talking to me about it. He's like, well, I'm going to take care of the situation. Right. He went the next day and took care of it. And so he basically demanded my pay and told the guy, you know, don't you ever, you know, ever say anything about this or whatever, I guess. So that was the end of it. And again, here was a situation where I had been traumatized and I wasn't like, after it was over, it was over and I wasn't able to articulate it really. I mean, I did to my, to my husband, well, my fiance at the time. I mean, we talked about it, but I mean, I wasn't talking to anybody professionally about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I were, think there, were there many services? Were there a lot of therapists back then? wasn't even discussed. Mm-hmm. Wasn't even discussed. And I think my dad 
had a real thing about that anyway. I think he mm -hmm. thought it was just a waste of time and, you know, why are you going to spend your money on that? And, you know, he had that kind of that mentality about it, you know. Um, a lot of people still think people that. Do. Yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of people do. And that's the stigma that comes mm -hmm. into play. Right. And, you know, I think my, had my mother had, had it been my mother on her own, I think my mother might have intervened had, mm -hmm. you know, had the, had the situation been different because I think she really would have wanted to help me in that regard. I don't think she would have, you know, um, dismissed it. Right. The idea of going Wait. to therapy. I don't think she would have ever dismissed it. But she listened to your dad, I'm assuming, yes. because you had a traditional yeah. family and the woman's era. supposed to listen to the man. That's still, sister, it's still very much like that in many cultures as well. I mean, very much like that. My mother didn't find her voice until many years later. But are your parents still together? My parents are now deceased, but my oh. parents actually, on a side note, my parents divorced after 43 years of marriage. Oh, Just wow. the same amount of years I've been married. Wow. They got because wow. my mother could no longer, you know, deal with, she loved my father, but she could no longer deal with his moodiness. And, you know, he, he had begun drinking more heavily toward the end of his life and he suffered a massive heart attack. He had to go in and have valves replaced and he had a quadruple bypass surgery um, because he was having heart problems. He didn't actually have a heart attack, but he had the symptoms of it and he went in and they discovered his arteries were clogged. So he had to have bypass surgery. Wow. So he, he, I mean, he made it through the surgery and it was four, it was quadruple bypass. So he was lucky he survived that. And, but he subsequently he got put on a lot of medications. And I think the medications kind of had a detrimental effect. Interesting. You I mean think. to his psyche? You think the medications actually made I him more so. depressed, or and well, this? And I, you're talking about heart medications? Yeah, medications for his heart and his blood pressure and things like that. You know, to to even it out. But on that's an interesting thing that's not discussed um, a lot is actually there's mental mental side effects to physical medications because people are always saying how mental medications, you know, antidepressants can numb you out and be, sure. some people have a problem with that. But yeah, you're right. Um, a, a, a good thought and maybe I'll, you know, try to have this on a future podcast. Um, but yeah, what about physical medications actually affecting a person's psyche and I believe their mood? Do. I believe it. Yeah, they absolutely do. Like, for example, um, I'm thinking of the quit smoking meditation. Um, uh, there's a, it's a it very distinctly says that it has caused um, depression and suicidal thoughts and, and even led to suicide in some cases. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's just one out of many, I'm sure. So interesting, interesting. But anyway, I digress. Uh, sorry to cut you off. What were you saying? No, no, no. I, I, think, I think you're right. And I think that's super important to bring that up because because I think medications definitely, physical medications definitely can have a detrimental effect on your mental health. I, I believe it. I've, I think I've seen it in people mm -hmm. that I've known because they seem to, to have changed in their personality, you know, once they got on certain medications where mm -hmm. they weren't like that before. Now, I mean, listen, everybody goes through growth and change, you know, it's part of our lives. But when it's dramatic like that, and after you begin a medication, that's why doctors always tell you to be, to be very careful and cautious right after you begin taking, especially a new medication, because there are side effects. And some of those side effects can be things like depression and anxiety yep. and things like that. Now, with that being said, looking back on my father and my whole life and how he was, I think that he may very well have been a manic depressive. Mm. And, just and why do you say that? Like, because, what are some of the symptoms that you saw? Because he would have tremendous highs and then come crashing down. I see. And have tremendous lows. And that was his, you know, his, his cycle of personality, especially in his later years, uh, especially after he had the heart problems. Mm. So um, I think, and he was an only child mm -hmm. and uh, raised not by his parents raised by an aunt. Mm, I he see. He had an alcoholic mother. 
and I, th I believe his father, my grandfather, and I never, I knew my grandmother later in her life on my father's side, but I never knew my grandfather, never mm -hmm. knew him. He died before I was born. So there's alcoholism runs in our family. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. And so it's there. And, and, you know, your father went through something significant as well. I mean, since you lost your brother, he lost his son. That's not easy to deal with. You know, for, for oh anyone. my gosh, jump to that. You know, um, after my husband and I got married, we'd been married for about three years, and at this point now it's 1980, and we had had a daughter, and she was three at the time mm -hmm. when my brother, and it was December 1st, 1980, when we got the news that he had jumped from the bridge. And what bridge was this? The Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, mm -hmm. which, which is a very popular. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, suicide bridge, actually. It is. it is. And it was it was unreal. I mean, in the beginning, the first few days after we got the news, mm -hmm. it was like we were living in a dream state. It was like we couldn't, because they were dragging the bay. They never found his body. They never so, found it? So we never had closure. We, and, and I had people come up to me. I will never forget it. I would have these people, when I would tell that story, they would say to me, how do you know he's really dead? If there's no body, how do you know he's dead? He could have just walked away. You know how many people have said that to me? Mm -hmm. And what when do I, you think when they say that? Oh, it just, it, it's crushing to me because the kind of person that he was, knowing the kind of person that he was, there's no way he would ever do that. There's just no way. No way. He, there were specific reasons that he did what he did. And if people had known him and known the way he felt about certain things, they would have never assumed that he could just walk away. And what? You know, get a new identity, start a new life. I mean, you know, this isn't fiction. This is real life, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there might not be people that have faked their own death. Right, but right. But why would he, right? And why would he, exactly? He had a child on the way. So yeah. how, how was it reported then? Um, how did the police uh, discover? A jogger, a jogger on the bridge found mm -hmm. a sea bag that he had left behind. Found a what bag? It was a sea bag. Uh, he was, he that? was in the Navy. He was, well, he oh, was in the, Coast, he was in the Coast Guard at the time, but he had been and served in the Navy mm -hmm. on an aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so he had a, he had a sea bag that he carried around, like a duffel bag. And he had all his personal effects in it. He couldn't, he was like Mr. Magoo. He couldn't see four feet without his glasses. His glasses mm -hmm. were in the bag, mm -hmm. uh, his wallet, his keys, very little money. Uh, there was, the 19 pages of typewritten letter that I had told you it was like a manifesto. Mm -hmm. There was a small spiral notebook where he had literally, he had written down when the tides were going out mm. and when the tides were coming in. Interesting. Had, and why does, I'm sorry, uh, why does that matter in this case, the tides? He wanted to, I think he wanted to make sure that when he hit the water, he, that he'd float out to sea. And there would be no, nothing left. I see. I see. He didn't want, I don't think he wanted to be found. I don't think he wanted anything to be left of him once he was gone. I think that was a very, it was a very calculated, very well thought out suicide. And it the manifesto helped too. Uh, I mean, you told me last time, but our audience doesn't know. So what was the manifesto briefly? Well, a lot of it, when you read it, to someone who didn't know him, it would probably sound like rambling, <laughs> you know, but knowing him the way that we knew him, it kind of made a strange sort of sense because he was very idealistic. Mm -hmm. He looked at the world through basically through rose colored glasses, you know, he wanted peace for the world and you know, which, I mean, my goodness, don't we all, you know, I mean, the things he wanted for his life and for the world were not, you know, unheard of things to want, you know, everybody wants those things, but 
he felt like because Reagan happened to be the president at the time, he was vehemently opposed to Reagan's view of mm. America, so to speak. And it troubled him, deeply troubled him. I mean, he almost looked upon Reagan like he would the Antichrist. I see. Interesting how some people can get so affected by politics. Um, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I mean, he basically and, and gave, he, gave his life for politics yes. or lost he, his life well, to politics protest. one way or the other. And, well, he, he deemed it a protest. He was protesting. And giving his life was, it was sort of like, you know, how kamikaze pilots fly right, into right. the buildings on purpose. And or suicide because, bombers or something. Yeah, suicide bombers. It's, it's for the greater good, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is the way he felt, which, you know, I mean. It's, and, and he wrote this specifically? I mean, you're, you're not. Oh, this, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wrote this all, in his manifesto. That it was he, all in there. Okay. His, his reasonings behind, you know, the reason for it, you know, and, and all of the, what was going, happening in the world at the time and the way things were, we were headed. And, you know, he just couldn't see himself in that experience. Mm -hmm. He could not visualize himself living in that kind of experience, that kind of world that was, right. that he foresaw was coming. I think. Do you think he had um, any undiagnosed conditions? Oh, it is very possible. What do you think he might have? I think had? he could have been very depressed. Mm -hmm. He was a loner. He had always been a loner ever since he was a little boy. You know, he mm -hmm. wasn't the type, he wasn't a social kind of guy when he got older. Even when he got older and he got to be in his early teen years, he just wasn't a social person. He was, and he was also a member of Mensa. So he mm -hmm. had an extremely off the charts high IQ. Right, right. People so for those of you who don't know Mensa, you have to get tested uh, to uh, get into Mensa. I am three points below <laughs> an IQ test, the uh, apparently being able to get into Mensa. Um, but Mensa is, yeah, you have to have an extremely high IQ to get into it. And um, this is something that Julie and I were talking about last time too, which is, you know, uh, there are some people who think that people who uh, experience depression or, you know, mental health disorders or anything um, like that or, 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 or uh, kill themselves from suicide, there are people who think that um, it means that their mind is weaker or that they have a lower IQ or that they're oh. not as intelligent. And in fact, the opposite is often a true. In fact, a it lot of true. the times these people are extremely, extremely intelligent above higher intelligence um, than the uh, average person. And um, Julie and I have the same theory on this. Julie, do you remember what you said? <laughs> I think that it's because people that have extremely high IQs, they never shut off. Yes. <laughs> Their brain is always working, always working, 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 working. Now everybody's thinking, I mean, every person on the planet has thoughts and we are all thinking about something, you know, but not to that kind of degree. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a level of degree here where it's off the charts. It's like, yeah, we have a very hard time. Yeah. Shutting off our thoughts for, yeah. for sure. And that's what leads to often substance abuse, trying to sure. self-medicate to numb out the, the mind. Um, you know, uh, I've even asked my therapist before, like, you know, I've even brought it up before, like, Oh, you know, sometimes like it's hard for me to shut down my thoughts, you know, even with all my meditation training and everything, it's, uh, you know, it's something I have yeah. to be very conscious of. And sometimes I find myself having to I don't want to say dumb myself down, but sometimes that's just what it, it feels like um, to relate to certain people that I'm talking to. So, um, oh, yeah. I've, had, I've kind of had that same experience. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we all have, yeah. Oh my God, it's like, what are you, and then I, I asked myself later on after I've done that, what were you doing? I mean, it was almost like being someone who wasn't me. Right. Yeah, I, I went through a phase. Yeah, I remember back uh, when I was younger, I think um, uh, in my early 20s, not teen years, don't quite remember, but I remember distinctly playing an airhead card. 
because, you know, that's what was taught to me was like cute or, you know, um, cute for a female, right? Or, and it was easier to get along right. with people, like when, you know, when you seem like you don't really know what's going on type thing. And yeah. Or people so pleasing Pe or people are doing the people pleasing routine, you know, which I did for years. You know, I was a people pleaser because that's what you do you know yeah. I mean especially for women you know we're, we tend to be people pleasers yeah that's we true. want every, we want everyone to be happy and satisfied and content and we're the nurturers you know, we don't, we don't, mm -hmm, we don't want to see anyone unhappy mm -hmm. even if it creates our own unhappiness yeah well I'm I mean if we could get into you know how did you because you seem like you're very happy now right for the most part you're uh, for the most you, part yeah, I, still have, I have my moments. I have my moments. I, I do. I still struggle with it. You know, I, I see my I don't see my therapist on as regular basis now only because that was a mutual decision that we made because, you know, after I wrote my memoir and, um, and got rid of a lot and purged a lot of, you know, what I had going on. Which and, writing, by the way, is oh, like was one my, of the it best. Was it was the best forms of therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I really encourage anyone out there who's struggling, right? Because it can just be so cathartic. I mean, it's amazing. You know, even if you write it down and burn the paper, you don't have to share it. Right. You, know? um, you don't have to, like, I, I wrote it all in a memoir form and I, and I actually published, I, well, it's not published, but I mean, I, I gave, I've given it over. I've mm -hmm. shared it. No, that's and, good. Mm -hmm. And I, but I, I never knew whether I would or not, you know, when I first finished it, mm -hmm. I was very conflicted whether I was going to share that because I mean, I struggle with that too. Deeply <laughs> personal deeply yep. per and it's very yep. raw. It's yep. very raw. It's very honest. Mm -hmm. And it came from such a deeply personal place and within myself mm -hmm. that I really struggled with whether or not I wanted anyone to read it so what I did was I gave it to the closest people to me mm -hmm. to read first that's good that's a good idea yeah. yeah because I felt like and my therapist also agreed with that she she thought that might be the best way you know give it to the people that you feel the safest with first mm -hmm. and watch and see the reactions you know from them mm -hmm. and I think what it did for my kids especially was it gave them a, ve uh, a much better view of who their mother really was. Right. Instead yeah. of the mother that they perceived me to be. That's very interesting too, yeah, because um, speaking for the parents out there, I know that in the beginning we, we had said, you know, some of the things that they may not have done so well, but, um, you know, to empathize and sympathize with them, um, I feel like children often don't know their struggles, you know, everything they've been through, everything our parents have been through and our grandparents, it's been so much. I mean, who are they really as a person without their mother or father hat, you know? Um, they've been through a host of struggles themselves that, you know, may or may not have caused them to parent Absolutely. you in this way because it's the only thing they knew how to do. A lot of it could be their own defense mechanisms, their own traumas, their own whatever, you know, that life has taught them. So, and they don't talk about it either. You know, we don't always ask either. So. Right. Yeah. And that's so true, especially with, and this all made me look at my own parents mm -hmm. very differently because mm -hmm. in looking back now, you know, after going through everything I have, you know, like my mother, for example, I mean, she lost, uh, she had a miscarriage at seven months. There were, there were actually five of us. And one was lost miscarriage. Then my older brother, you know, of course, committed suicide, but he was also a twin. Mm -hmm. And the twin, his twin died just shortly after it was born. He died oh, in my wow. father's He died in wow. my father's arms. And I think that had a deep and lasting effect on my father. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. He, had a brain, he had brain aneurysm. And oh my nothing my father would have done in that moment would have saved him. He was just, it was like that. It was instantaneous. See, and those are... Years later, mm -hmm. they lose the other one to suicide. Those are things that people have to 
go to therapy for in my opinion i mean even like the the first the first time but you know of course it's it's not your dad's fault because therapy was not widely available at all whatsoever and the taboo right. was even you know a hundred times stronger back then oh, yes. um but yeah yes. those are all things like when we experience a loss you know that is a time mm. for us to go to therapy especially if it's the loss of our own son. So, um, you know, so Julie, my, the point of my question with um, how you're doing now is uh, there's a lot of people out there who have experienced loss, who have experienced family members and close ones to them to suicide, who have gone through rape and sexual assault, things like that. And you have turned out, I think, like wonderfully, right? I mean, it seems like you're relatively satisfied with your life. You have a wonderful marriage and, you know, two, two children are proud of you or just telling me about your grandkids you're in a good place right now so uh what can you tell other people um who may be struggling um uh what can you share with them that has helped you get to this place today because there's some people who unfortunately just seem like they never come out of it well i think what happens with some people is they get stuck mm -hmm. and i think i was stuck you know, in a place where I felt like I couldn't go forward and I couldn't go back. I was just stuck. And it's like, you get to this point where you feel like there has to be something I can do to, to get out of this place I'm in, you know? And you, you I, I was like trying to use other things like, you know, like really reading a lot or watching programs regarding this or that, you know, suicide or whatever. Mm -hmm. And nothing was really getting me the help that I really felt like I needed. It just wasn't, nothing I was trying to do on my own seemed to be working for me. And what and, decade was this? Well, that was all, all the way through my, my whole, my whole adulthood. I mean, I just, I just got deeply into therapy the beginning of last year. Oh, wow. So this, this is, yeah. I mean, I, my therapy is new, is relatively new. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would not I, have guessed that. Wow. I struggled for decades with what I was dealing with decades and I did it a lot of it in silence. Mm -hmm. And that was a big uh, part of my memoir was the fact that, you know, living in silence, it, it slowly will ebb away at your soul. It will. It'll just keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away until you are left just as a shell of a person, you know, and you almost forget who you were before the trauma. You can't, it's like, you can't even remember. It's like trauma becomes who you are. Mm -hmm. And this was who I was, who are, who I thought I was, but you're not, you're not your trauma. You, you really aren't. And you, that's what you have to figure out how to step outside of that. Who am I outside of my trauma before any of this trauma? Who was I? What were my beliefs? What were my core beliefs? What did I hold dear? What was important to me? What made me happy? What brought me joy? What were all of those things that I shoved away and decided to live in trauma? <laughs> you know, that is, that is so interesting. Yeah, because um, for so many people, trauma defines their life. Trauma defines the rest of their life. Like nice. one situation, one instance it makes like just defines every decision that they make from there on out and the way they view life and everything. And it's hard sometimes to see that it's all stemming from this one instance that was, you know, a moment in time. So I, and there's a various um, uh, personal development courses as well um, that really dive into this. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of uh, landmark courses. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but they really like, they just right away off the bat dive into people's traumas. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is your story. This is what you think. They don't mess around. <laughs> yeah, they don't mess around. However, I will say that for any of you who are thinking of going, like, please do check their fine print because some of these courses, um, they say specifically that if you are suicidally depressed or depressed or experiencing a mental health condition, 
you need to check with your therapist and it may not be the best time for you to go. Um, and I think there's a very good reason for that. Um, you know, uh, we do have to do our own self-healing. That's why I always say therapy is great. It's not the only way, but it's a, it's a, one of the most efficient add-ons to whatever else that you're doing in life. Well, and, and I think my, if I had to choose a word that would describe me through all of it before I got into therapy was perseverance. I just kept persevering. I kept pushing forward. I kept moving forward. I kept thinking if I did that, that I would somehow be able to heal myself. Hmm. Did you way. know that you needed healing? I knew that, but I didn't fully know it. You know what I mean? You can know something, but not fully know it. I mean, all the way, you know, and it wasn't until I got into therapy that I realized that uh, I finally figured out that, you know, I mean, healing isn't linear. It's not, you know, I mean, it's not a straight line. It's, it's like this, you know, you go up and down and up and down and up and down with it, mm -hmm. you know, but um, I had made this um, discovery in therapy that was interesting. I, and I told this to my husband and I think it hurt his feelings, but I said, um, you know, looking back, I probably should have never married you because at the time I was broken. I was so broken mm -hmm. as a person. And I, but I looked at him as though he was the answer and he was going to save me. And he wasn't, and he didn't in some ways. Yes but not in every way, mm -hmm. you know? And then it was like, and then after we got married, I was sexually assaulted for a second time mm -hmm. by a dentist that I had gone to work for. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came, and after that assault, I remember coming home that day and my husband, he came home, obviously I called him and he came home and um, I remember very clearly saying to him, I do not want to go back into the workforce. I just want to be at home. I want to be your wife and I want to, and I want us to have a baby. So you think that, so that came from fear and the mm -hmm. trauma? Yeah. If that had oh, yeah. not happened, you would still be in the workforce? Probably, probably, probably. But I see, again, I was grasping at these things that I thought were going to do the healing. Right. But, but all I did was I took my husband and my kids on my journey with me of trauma. Interesting. And do you think it made, it made their, uh, it gave them extra work to handle you? Oh yeah. Because I, because I wasn't, I, I know I probably could have been a much better mother had I gotten therapy into therapy sooner Mm -hmm. I, I made it, I think I made a lot of mistakes with my kids and I've, and I've confessed that. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about this. That's great. And that you is know, so important. it, it really helped me to have those conversations with my kids. It helps the but, kids too, you know, oh, because they, they, they need to hear it. Otherwise we're confused for the rest of our I lives know. and there's no, I told both of them, I said, I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> so sorry oh my gosh sorry there there are flies flying around oh. i don't know what is happening i have a balcony it's right here so i keep the balcony open sometimes and when i cook or eat food i think they just fly in so i'm so sorry everyone i know that there are flies going around here it's it's gross you know what flies are, are creatures too <laughs> so nice that's how i think of it um yeah and my cat is here next to me snoring so I don't want to wake her. So sorry. <laughs> but anyway, I do realize that this stuff is happening. Let's just try to ignore it. I'm going to try to get them out of here after this call. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, um, I think that, that uh, I, like I said, I think I took my husband and my kids on this trauma journey that I've mm -hmm. been on. And um, it wasn't fair to them, you know. That's I mean, happened they, to me, actually. But they fulfilled things. They fulfilled things in my life. I mean, they, they fulfilled me in ways that are just immeasurable. You know, mm -hmm. the joy that I felt in having my children, raising my children, all of that's been there. It wasn't that that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I felt it. 
But I was also feeling all of that pain and shame and just disgust and, you know, hating myself. And it know, was like, it was like they were your escape, right? Or yes, they were your exactly. life, life raft. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that's so selfish to do that. Well, to it's, I mean, it's, it's not selfish. Um, you know, that's just what humans do. We look for any way to save some people. It's either that or, or some people do it through drugs. Some and people see, do it through. Yeah. That's the thing that I find so fascinating here is that I never once ever consider turning to drugs or alcohol. Never occurred to me. Just never Yeah. Well, I mean, I you're head. lucky for that, I think. I you feel know. blessed yeah. that I would never. Because at least a family that. is, um, you know, a foundation that you build on. And, you know, now you exactly. have a family. Whereas, you know, if you and went that's what the I drug did. routes, yeah, you don't really, drugs don't grow for you. You know, all they do is right. bring you down. And so um, I had all of this positivity coming from and I had and my husband was very patient and very supportive and always there for me and giving and loving and all the things that you want in in a mate you know that's wonderful yeah I mean I like blessed personified here you know Mm -hmm. and my children are just my my whole world you know Mm -hmm. and it if it had not been for them I probably may have gone in that other dark direction you know but I I had a purpose I had a a meaning I had a meaning to my life where a lot of people when they get into that dark place they don't have that Mm -hmm. so that's where you know maybe drugs and alcohol might come into play and had I not gotten married not have my kids and experienced those things I very well could have seen myself falling into that abyss of drugs or alcohol or any of that yeah. or any I could have become promiscuous, which happens with a lot of rape and sexual assault victims. That's true. Very yes. Normal, very normal response to, mm-hmm. to go the other direction, you know, mm-hmm. um, some yeah. became sex workers. Right. You know? Right. I mean, I think I've heard so many people that have gone through trauma say that having a support system is so important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, uh, interestingly enough, I've also been on the other side of that where, you know, I've been in a relationship where um, the other person had a lot of trauma and Mm -hmm. I've been on the receiving end of what it's like to deal with someone who's constantly triggered and yelling at you and, you know, just and and, um, uh, laying all of all of their pasts, you know, onto onto a relationship and then uh, hoping that you're going to save them. And it's, it's not fun either. So it's interesting. It's almost like a catch 22, you know, support system is good. And, you know, if you don't heal yourself in your own way, luckily I was able to, after begging him many times, able to get him to, to seek out therapy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but if you don't try to heal yourself and, and, you know, um, and really take a hard look at, at your past and what you need to do to, to heal your own self and all that's just going to get laid on to whatever relationship you end up going in. So yeah, yeah. I can understand it from, from both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, and that's why there are times, you know, that I think like my husband, you know, all, all the things that must have been difficult for him, you know, and not understanding so many things that were triggering me and, you know, setting me off, you know, I was a, I was a door slammer back in the day, you know, when I would get frustrated or angry or upset, I would just slam doors. And that was kind of my way of releasing all of that, you know, um, and I also became extremely, um, OCD with cleanliness. Mm-hmm. It was like I wanted to clean the entire world. Oh, um, I see. And, and when my children were little, I never let them get dirty, ever. Oh. I was compulsive with that. It was awful. It was awful. Mm. And, you know, and that was the other thing I had to kind of apologize to my kids for. And, you know, people, you know, that knew me in my family on both sides, on my husband's side and my, and my side, you know, they would joke all the time about my fastidiousness of being clean and having to have things in order and clean and all the time. I mean, all the time, 
it could yeah. never not be clean, you know. And I think that stemmed from, you know, the sexual assaults and the rape. I, I mm-hmm. had to, you know, I couldn't be clean enough. I, you know, I remember being in the shower and just scrubbing my body raw after the rape and thinking, you know, there's nothing I'm going to do. That's, I, it's like I wanted to just jump out of who I was, jump, literally jump out of my body. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be out of my body. That's and very so interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're actually, um, I was just talking to someone today uh, about, um, she's an OCD therapist. So we are going to have an episode on OCD actually also in the near future. Um, one of the things that happens after, in the aftermath of that. Yeah. Very so, common. So um, it seems like you try to heal in your, in your, own ways, um, you know, by uh, latching onto your family and um, releasing your tension, slamming doors, which by the way, I have to say better to slam doors and slam people, right? Right, right. <laughs> <So>. exactly. <laughs> um, but, but um, um, so was it, I mean, I'm just curious because was there any point in all of this where you yourself, where you felt like you couldn't go on or was this your way of kind of emotionally blocking that and forcing yourself to go on? And then somehow you actually did in by forcing yourself in by like, um, and I think a lot of it is hope, you know, holding on to hope and. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And just pushing yourself forward and just giving yourself that nudge. It almost sounds like being a little hard on yourself. Um, oh, I was. I was so hard on myself. Oh my God. But was that a good thing? Um, Maybe. I think it it did me a disservice being Mm. that hard on myself. And, and I've basically, I've kind of learned how to really scale that back through therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. and not just beat myself up over every little thing and every little thing I say and every little thing I do. It's just like, you know, come on. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. We all do things, you know, that we're not proud of doing or saying or whatever. I mean, we're, cause we're human, you know, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but, but when you start, when it becomes obsessive, where you're constantly just bashing yourself, that's so unhealthy. It's so unhealthy, you know, and that's in parenting also. <laughs> that's something that a lot of children, including myself were instilled with, with uh, parents. Um, some parents are very hard on their kids uh, and especially in some cultures, and it's, it becomes like a message that the kids tell themselves. So yeah, I, myself, I had to go through um, self-compassion, mindfulness training and things like that, yeah. and just learn how to be more compassionate toward myself. But I think a lot of people go through that. Oh, well. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's part and parcel of the trauma, you know, it, it's just part of it. It's part, I think, I think everyone actually has that to, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I really do. I believe it. Because I've talked to a lot of other people that have gone through that similar. Yeah. You know, but on the other hand, though, I just have to say, you know, I do commend you for uh, continuing to move forward and, um, you know, just pushing yourself and holding on to hope because the other side of it is if you didn't do that, if that didn't happen, you know, would you have ended up, you know, severely depressed and unable to do anything and just, you know, cathartic, uh, not cathartic, sorry, uh, lethargic. (laughs) Right, right. No, I I know what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. What was the alternative? If I didn't continue to have hope and continue to persevere and push through everything that I had that I had, I really don't know where it would have ended up, you know, mm-hmm. and luckily I, my, my kids and my, and my husband were instrumental in, you know, in encouraging me to mm-hmm. seek out therapy and oh, go that's to, great and to go. They, they were instrumental in, you know, really giving me that push I needed. That is really good that they're, they, that they're believers of therapy and they're supportive. That's so important. Well, I think especially once, you know, once they read the memoir, they really, it really became very real for them. Oh, I see. How deep it went and how much I needed it, you know, mm-hmm. and they'd be very supportive and very encouraging and, you know, and that, but as I said before, a lot of people, they just don't have that support system and it's mm-hmm. so much more difficult when you don't. Mm-hmm. And to, I, the only thing I can say to those people is just, there are so many apps, organizations such as yours, 
there's so many places to reach out. You know, there's RAIN mm -hmm. for, you know, those who have been sexually assaulted. There's mm -hmm. Mental Health America. There are just so many wonderful organizations. And they're a phone call away, mm -hmm. one phone call away. And there's a person on the other end that's going to listen, that's going to make you hear, that's going to make you know that they're hearing you, mm -hmm. you know, and that they understand and that they, that they can help you, you right. know, Absolutely. but it's just picking up that phone, you know, it's, and it's breaking the stigma of it too. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, cause people get it in their heads that, you know, like you said before that they're weak or, you know, um, they're not all mentally there, you know, which is a lie we tell ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's not true because I think everyone has mental health. Everyone. Of course. And, yeah. You know, everyone has it just like you have physical health. Yep. It's one and the same. It's one and the same. And mm -hmm. society, I think, has not looked at it that way. Mm -hmm. I, I think that it's time to break that it. Is, that is what we are here to do, everyone. Yes. So <laughs> wonderful. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. With that said, I don't think I could have ended it on a, a better note. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful, Julie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experiences. I really hope that um, uh, our audience gets something out of this and out of all the uh, podcasts that we're, we're coming out with um, and continue to break the taboo around these topics and continue to heal, take care of yourselves and know that you are not alone. We are right there with you, and there are many wonderful, unique people out there um, that have experienced a lot of uh, unique stories, um, and we are here to share them. So thank you so much, Jolie. Uh, do you have any last words? Um, just keep the faith and keep hope and know that there are people that out there that do care and they want to help, you know. And when you're ready, share your story because everyone sharing their story, you know, it's like, it's like has a cumulative effect. You know, mm -hmm. one person shares their story, then another person feels brave enough to share their story. And Absolutely. On and, on it goes. and on and on it goes. Absolutely. Kind of like, it uh, reminds me of the Me, Me Too movement, actually. Right. When one person started, someone else started, and exactly. someone else started, and actually, and then what happened was, and then I became brave enough to, you know, finally realize um that i had gone through that as well and now here we are with julie and julie sharing hers too so right wonderful That's great it. well okay. thank you so much julie have a wonderful day <laughs> it was a pleasure having you bye. bye we'll be in touch bye bye everyone bye. have a great day bye